Hey everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Consummate Athlete Podcast. I'm Molly Herford, here with co-host Peter Glassford, and today we have proved that it is a very, very small world because we have Ultimate Frisbee coach Scott Hasty on, uh, but it turns out he used to race bikes down at Trexlertown Velodrome, one of my favorite places on earth, and right near where I'm from in New Jersey. So it is indeed a very small world since he's from Ontario. Uh, and yeah, he chatted with us today about Ultimate Frisbee, which I definitely had some issues with going in, but ended up being pretty into it. Yeah, Scott's uh, a f- good friend of one of my clients um, who recommended him as someone to talk to about Ultimate. Uh, Scott has... Okay, I'm just going to pause and say I'm still not on board with calling it Ultimate. Okay, well, with Ultimate Frisbee. Um, so we go over sort of his progression through uh, from cycling to Ultimate and what that looked like. We talk about what Ultimate Frisbee is. He gives a really good sort of uh, explanation about that. I like there's a concept which I had forgotten about from my university and high school ultimate play um was that there is no referees in in ultimate frisbee it's governed by the player so what they call spirit of the game um which is a really cool element and one that attracts a lot of people to ultimate coming from basketball or soccer where things like the dive you know trying to use the rules and sort of fake uh faults fake uh you know different what am i looking for injuries fouls fouls is the word i'm looking for so yeah, so it's just sort of a different twist on that, that game, and I think, you know, gets to the pure sort of element of sports. So actually, I think that's what he was saying was draws a lot of people to it, is people who are, you know, have those basic movement skills from the other team sports, like soccer, um, usually find that quite attractive, and that might be what draws them, or it might be what keeps them once they sort of give it a try at a, you know, a weekly sort of pickup co-ed sort of, of game. So we talk about that, we talk about where to get into it, we talk about how it can progress and how he progressed through the different ranks. Um, and we get into some really cool coaching stuff as well, just sort of what he learned by going outside of his, his upbringing in Toronto, and he went down to Boston and learned, you know, a whole different way to look at the same game. And I think a good takeaway that a lot of the successful people, including Perry, who referred to Scott, um, you know, a lot of successful people I know and work with have gone outside of their you know their home base and often they return but they go outside of that home base to find perspective and new ways of doing things and you know just grow as a person and realize that there's no one way no perfect way um so yeah so this uh, this is a good episode whether you're into ultimate and completely opposed to it or not you might find you're on the other side once you come back out of it yeah fine i'll go play ultimate frisbee with you Ugh. Anyway, enjoy the podcast. I'm going to go outside and practice chucking a frisbee around. Tell us then, you know, how you've gotten to your, your position now um, in Ultimate. Yeah, I, um, I guess the, the year after um, uh, I stopped racing, I uh, started doing a master's, which was kind of the I don't know if there's ever a better time to be racing is when doing a master's because you're kind of the master of your own time. Right. Um, but so it was a, a silly time to stop racing, but at the same time it was like I kind of got enough out of racing as I could have um, with what I could put in while still doing an engineering degree. And um, um, I kind of had that uh, ticking time bomb that uh, doing my master's was a way to get some experience because every every summer was spent um, 
racing bicycles and not doing engineering work. So I was graduating with zero experience, and that's not a good good thing to do in the engineering world. So right. I went back to do my masters, and um, uh, you know, all of a sudden had all this time on my hands because I wasn't spending three to four hours a day training. So. Um, uh, you know, a little bit was a nice, nice little break from from what can be a bit of a grind at, at um, that level. And then, uh, but then I was like, I, I need to do something, and um, uh, dabbled a little bit with uh, with with softball, and that wasn't that wasn't enough. And then uh, a friend said, "We're, we're not going to be playing softball anymore. Uh, let's go. Uh, let's go." Check out this sport. It's it's really cool. It's uh, ultimate frisbee, um, and uh, this was in in Hamilton um, at McMaster University, and uh, it was a, a Hamilton Ultimate Club that was there, and it um, I think met Thursday nights, and uh, yeah, started going out and you know fell in love with the game pretty quick, and I think. The key thing was that you were you were playing a game, and uh, it was it was fun first and foremost. But then, as you like, you could you could do it really really competitively as well. And we could see players who had committed to that, where they were training specifically to be faster, stronger, swifter for ultimate. So that was uh, that was pretty cool. And um, yeah, I, I think I had a fair fair bit of um, Fitness that uh, needed an outlet, and for some reason, this uh, this game was was it to start me off. Right now, this was one. What age were you at? Sort of in this ninety six, ninety seven. How old were you? Sort of, you're starting a master's. What age is this at? Oh man, that's so much math. Um, I guess I would have been twenty three. Okay, so not you know you're not starting a master's degree at like you know, 30 or 40 or whatever, right? Like you're, yeah, no. you're, you're still, uh, yeah, okay. Yeah, uh, maybe um, it's incredible now thinking of, of, of kids starting playing ultimate in, in high school and, and that sort of thing, but yeah, I was, I mean, um, yeah, um, that, you know, they've got year, years and years of experience before they even go to university um, playing, it's, it's pretty exciting. Um, so you were playing in school, you were doing sort of pickup and stuff. How did that progress then to sort of that national and sort of the, I believe you're, you're right now your position is the head coach of the Toronto team? Yeah, the, uh, um, I've got a, a few teams that I coach, but uh, yeah, I can tell you that story for sure. So sure. Um, I started out, um, We um, you, you play in a uh, typically a co-ed, so um uh, four men, three women, or four women, three men uh, playing against another group of seven on the other side. And um, I uh, started off, we you know just played once a week on Thursdays. And then next thing we know, um, there were some really motivating people around the club, and we were you know traveling to tournaments in Ottawa and um, Montreal and um, Barrie and London and that sort of thing to different tournaments. Um, Around the around the way, and yeah, it was it was a lot of fun, and so pretty much my entire time here in Hamilton was um, playing co-ed ultimate, which is um, you know does have a, a touring and uh, competitive uh, side to it, 
Um, but uh, when I when I moved uh, to Toronto, I switched full to um, playing men's, and they have a kind of a tryout sequence where um, you know there's an A team and a B team and a C team and a D team, and um, I you know tried out for the A team every every year and uh, was unsuccessful a number of years in a row, and but got lots of experience on the uh, the lower the lower teams. And um, kind of worked myself up to get a couple years on the uh, on the um, on the A team, um, but always kind of at the lower end of the spectrum of players. Um, but it was, I guess, I must have started. I may have been wrong earlier about at, at age 26, and then. Um, but it was once I was into the masters age category, which. Um, it's kind of the age has been moving um, slowly up, but it's uh, I think it's if you turn 34 within a year, you're a Masters player. So um, it, it was then when I kind of uh, clicked a little bit. I um, I was doing all right, but I I played with a team that qualified to represent uh, Canada at the World Championships in 2008, and that was uh, yeah that was pretty exciting for me. So it was something that I had always pushed for with uh, with cycling, but never never achieved. And uh, yeah, as a result, I got pretty fired up about it. And so I would, you know, I always trained pretty hard from what I thought, but never close to what I was doing on my on my bicycle. But uh, when I was was training for that World Championships, I really fired up where I was, you know, doing something every day to get better at, at my sport. And um, you know, doing it in a planned manner and and trying to peak for that, and um, that year went really well, and I, I probably had the best year of my uh, my playing career, kind of you know later on than when it probably happens for everybody else. Right. And after that, I uh, I got asked to uh, to play on this team out of Boston, which is a bunch of um, kind of. It, it was a master's team still, but it was a bunch of guys that um, everybody had looked up to. They had they had won a number of U.S. championships over the years, and I think kind of being physically at the top of my game, and um, but you know, no, I can't play with the young young guys forever. But also getting exposure to to that team, even just kind of for two falls, not even for two for full years, two fall series, I, I played with them. Um, just kind of helped me to understand the game better, and it also gave me some insight that you know wasn't available in Toronto. Just um, there have been some players who had gone to school in Boston and brought back some of the ideas, but um, yeah, I think that really contributed to my understanding of the game, and you know, some things that we held as as uh, really important in Toronto, you know. Um, there were some different ideas to how that was done in Boston, and they were very successful. And um, so the, the the top team, I, I guess, over that time, I'd always, even if I was um, not on the top team, that I would always kind of volunteer as a, a training dummy, if, um, just in the fall, you know, training at at night under the lights, uh, often in rain and, and cold. Um, the teams always didn't have the kind of requisite 14 players to be able to uh, 
get some scrimmaging in. So I would uh, I would continue to go out in the fall just to you know provide some bodies for that. So I think they realized I was hanging around, and by 2011 they asked whether I would be interested in um, representing them as a, a coach um, for, for for that year. And so this was um, it's called uh, the team's called Goat, and actually. Uh, uh, Perry, who introduced us, Peter, uh, he, he was part of the, the, the group that formed that team in 2002. Okay. And uh, so, yeah, I went on to become coach, and uh, I hadn't ever coached anything before, but I think it was um, partially um, the way Ultimate had worked all, all the time before was the players, the captain, you know, called lines, you know, played played reps, decided um, on strategy changes, and they just realized that, that it's just too much for uh, someone playing to have to deal with all of that. And so I was brought in to try to alleviate that from the, the guys playing and also to maybe make a bit more of a system for, um, you know, to be able to bring in new people each year. Okay. So let's just to review here. So you went from playing those two years with Boston, and then the goats were a Toronto... Is it goats, like the animal? Yep, yeah. uh, G-O-A-T. It's yep. probably an acronym, but I don't even know okay. which one's the, the right one. Okay, okay. Um, so that was a Toronto-based team then, or was that the Boston team? It, it, it's a uh, goat is a Toronto-based team, but it, um, it always had uh, uh, Ottawa players as well, so it was kind of a bit of an amalgamation of the kind of Canadian East... Uh, top players. Okay. And is that a master's team, or how did that work? No, that's an open team, and okay. um, there's a few players that may have been master's age, but they're, uh, that's, uh, that's another podcast for you, but uh, um, playing, with the, uh, playing with the young guys. Right. But um, um, in general, I think this year we, we range from age 20 to 30, 38. Um, is the is the the age group that's in here? So it's it's open. It can be um, younger that than that, and older than that. But that's kind of where it's been the last couple of years. Okay. So now in, you're saying the sport at that highest level sort of switched from having a player, you know, a player coach, so to speak, versus you know more traditional team sports having a an actual coach on the sidelines. Um, yes, that's I, true. Okay, and you were sort of part of that. Yeah, I think that they looked around and saw other teams starting to have um, have somebody, you know, doing that, and you know, the most successful teams were were doing that, and um, yeah, they they realized it was a move that they had to make to uh, to compete at the the higher level. And that was around like what 2010 or what what year was this? I think it would be at the end of the year of 2010, but 2011 was the first uh, the first year that uh, I came in as as coach. Okay, and that's, it was a that's cool. So now, mm-hmm. how how low does that go in terms of like having a coach? Like you wouldn't see that in the Thursday night level you started at, I assume. But like, does that start pretty much once you start going to those tournament teams? You would mostly see someone acting as the coach. Yeah, it's pretty exciting now that um, there's been a real push. Um, like juniors teams always had coaches, um, um, but there, there's been a real push in the Toronto scene, and um, 
they have some really top coaches and um, so they're not only um, developing players but they're those top coaches are developing other coaches at the junior level mm-hmm. um, here in Toronto and I, I'm sure it happens in, in uh, Ottawa and, and Vancouver as well some of the, the bigger centers and, and sorry I shouldn't drop out Winnipeg that that's a massive center for junior development um, so uh, junior teams uh, travel to tournaments as well and uh, they're really got some fantastic coaching now so um, for me most of the players that I uh, uh, are on the teams that I'm working with um, the the veterans kind of grew up without a coach and um, are um, you know from 2011 on, you know, dealt with that different situation. But what's great is now all the juniors come in and not only do they really know how to play ultimate because they've been uh, taught how to do so at a high level and with some systems, but they're also you know, used to having a coach telling them, what, you know, who, who's playing and what what's going on and, um, you know, how they should train and when they should train and uh, things like that. So it, it, there's a real... Um, interesting switch you know in I don't know how many years five ten years it's going to be uh, all players who've kind of grown up playing competitive ultimate through their junior careers and uh, and being coached as well so it's pretty exciting uh, changes for the sport yeah that's really cool once you start seeing a sport you know getting a grassroots sort of program you know as you say you can definitely anticipate that the sport's going to be at a, a you know a crazy level once you have these kids who have that 10 years of experience or whatever right yeah definitely and certainly adding yeah. coaching to that equation is a next level too right you know before it wouldn't you know as you say the the captain player wouldn't be able to give a lot of feedback to the other but when you have someone whose full-time job is to give that feedback and stuff you know between shifts then you start getting really rapid and really high-end progression yeah a hundred percent it's uh, we're seeing it where um uh players are are stepping into our team and uh not just um you know, not just being, you know, a part of the team, but, you know, leading the team or, or, you know, really exciting athletic players, but also, um, you know, we don't have to develop them for two or three years. They're stepping right in and making a big difference in games. And, and, um, yeah, we're super appreciative of the effort of, uh, you know, our friends and, and, um, um, you know, co-players over the years who've uh, really concentrated a bunch of their time on uh, developing the junior players. It's 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 going to make Toronto and Canada a good place to play for a long time. Right. Okay. Um, so let's drill in then on, like, can you give me, you know, a relatively concise description of what Ultimate Frisbee is? Yeah, sure. Um, I guess that's an important part of the deal. It's um, so... Ultimate is a, a sport, and I think the, um, the the number one thing that sets it away f- apart from other sports is uh, spirit of the game. In in general, save for the the pro leagues, it's played without a referee, and there's a, a number of requirements uh, of that is um, of all the players, and that's a, a knowledge of the um, knowledge of the rules, but also. Um, you know, uh, application of what we call a spirit of the game. And that's where um, there's an implicit 
assumption that no one will cheat to gain unfair advantage. Um, and uh, so you know, important when you show up is to know the rules, but also is to understand that it's not like, um, you know, basketball when you foul on purpose to stop from somebody from scoring. That's, that's just not part of the game. And so that's something that's always interesting when we bring uh, players in from other sports. And um, some people, you know, run away from other sports or are not interested in other sports because of that. And that's what really draws them to Ultimate. And then other players um, come into Ultimate and, um, you know, have a bit of trouble with figuring out how to play, you know, aggressive um, um Sport without you know crossing that line, but uh, you know how, how the game works out. It's a, a non-contact uh, sport, and it's uh, typically played on a field um, 70 yards wide, um, sorry, long um, on the actual playing surface, and 40 yards wide, and then 20 to 25 yards depending on the the size of the field. So in general, what we do normally is play on you know, a soccer field, we um, usually are able to fit two fields, especially in, um, you know, pickup leagues. We, we definitely do that. It's always exciting when you get a proper proper space to play and you've got a fully, uh, full dimension field. It uh, doesn't happen at all tournaments and certainly not during a, a pickup. It, you know, sometimes it's a little shorter, a little not as wide. But uh, so the object of the game is to, um, it starts off with uh, one group of seven lined up at one end of the field and another group of seven lined up at the uh, other, um, kind of at the front of an end zone that's uh, 20 yards deep. Mm-hmm. And uh, one team throws it to the other team. And then after that, it's kind of game on. And um, the, the game involves uh, the offensive team, the one that's just received the disc, uh, to pass the disc from player to player all the way up the field, and uh, the goal of which is to throw the disc to a player that's in the end zone. So end zone, just like um, you know rugby or American football, um, um, but the, you you can't you don't you don't run with the disc ever. So if you do catch the disc, you have a couple steps to slow down. But after that, you um, you plant your foot just like in basketball, and then you have uh, 10 seconds to throw it to a teammate. So I think that kind of wraps it all up, but I, I always like to say it's a, a little bit like um, basketball because of the uh, the pivot foot. Mm-hmm. It's it's like um, uh, American football, uh, football um, where you're you know trying to score into an end zone. And then I think the final little bit of it is it's kind of like soccer where um, – as soon as the disc hits the ground or there's a turnover or an interception, you, you know, there's no stoppage where, you know, the offense comes off and the defense goes on. The game just continues continues on. So um, you may be in a highly advantageous position where you're, you know, all the way down in the end zone free and nobody's covering you, um, but then there's a turnover and suddenly your, your great position becomes a, a disadvantage where you have to sprint down the field to catch and and put a uh, you know, try to either block a pass to your opponent or uh, what we call marking, 
where you um, stand close to your opponent um, and you can influence the direction that they can throw to and that that helps your downfield defenders to uh, you know where they can position themselves to uh, put themselves between the, the player and uh, a thrown disc right yeah I think that's a so good just questions <laughs> yes yes for sure I mean I think that's a great way to explain it I think that's relatively clear in terms of the basic rules and what ultimate is like I think the the fact that you can't run with the disc is often sort of overlooked but once you sort of get that in your head then okay it's like basketball without dribbling type thing um yeah so from there then what I'm wondering is how does someone then okay we understand the game that sounds attractive I like the for me the not having the I'm trying to think what it's called in soccer when someone uh like intentionally falls and you know, what's that called? I'm trying to think of the, when they take like, oh, I can't think of what it's called. You know what I mean though, like a, right? Like a dive? A dive, that's the word I'm oh, looking for. So you yeah. can't you can't dive in this. And I sort of like that, that it's sort of built on the spirit of the game. I like that term. So if this is something attractive to people, like where do you start? You know, how would you recommend someone gets going within the sport? Yeah, it's um, uh, here in here in Toronto and in lots of major centers. There's there's a club in in Toronto. It's called the Toronto Ultimate Club, but uh, you know they're they're all over. And um, these usually um, they have you know, partially organized pickup games, and then they also have have leagues. Um, there's also like um, Toronto Sport and Social Club, which uh, does leagues as well. And uh, I think. You know, getting out and playing is is a lot of fun. And when you're when you're in a league, it's you know it's about the game. Everybody wants to play and do well, but it, you know it's also about the camaraderie and you know having fun after the after the game as well. And that uh, that kind of adds to everybody's experience. But um, you know, in the in the general sense, if you want to play, you need to find a bunch of people to play. Um, it's it's not that expensive in that, you know, maybe you need some soccer cleats or football cleats and uh, some cones to make a field and enough space to, uh, enough space to play. But uh, it's it, playing in kind of an organized league allows you to, um, you know, th- that's a good start to progressing. And, you know, you, as you see better players play, you get to kind of emulate the moves or the throws that they're making and then uh, build up from there. So, um, you know, that's one aspect of how to start, but I, I think everybody, uh, you know, when you're starting, you know, being able to throw the disc is a pretty key part of the game. Um, it's not like, um, uh, football where it's, you know, one, one guy's throwing the ball and, you know, there might be multiple people catching it with, with, with ultimate, it's, you've got a lot of quarterbacks on the field and as soon as you catch the disc, you, instantly become the quarterback and you're, you're going to want to have a few you know, a few different throws or at least some confidence in your throws to uh, to start out the game so I, I would say that's you know we, we do as part of the Toronto Rush the team I'm involved in we do a lot of uh, outreach where it's um, um, learn to play sessions or you know learn to play at a higher level sessions and almost all of it is is you know, some sort of um, explanation on, you know, gaining confidence in your throws. And uh, that, that would be the first the first step that you can do individually before you even um, head out to a, uh, 
uh, a league game or to a pickup game. So that would be where you would probably start someone, um, you know, even a first practice if someone was coming out maybe to like a, a pickup league or, you know, it would be sort of just playing catch essentially with a Frisbee. Yeah, I think so. Definitely. You, you can do it by yourself. It's not very rewarding, but you can, you know, if you have one more discs um, and uh, and a target like a, a soccer net or maybe even better, like a lacrosse net, a bit smaller um, and just practice you know, throwing in like into that where you would have, you know, some confident that confidence that, you know, when you throw, it's going to go where you want, want it to go. Right. Um, what about like I, a Frisbee golf? Would, would, is that sort of like taboo to talk about Frisbee golf? I didn't know if there was like, no a, way. No, it's no, cool. It's, okay. It's so much fun. Um, yeah. Um, I, I think, um, there's a little bit about how people throw, but you know, um, there's uh, some guys on our team now that you can tell they played a bunch of of, of um, frisbee golf because they they can launch the disc and um, they uh, just in their mechanics and in how they um, you know for the guys who can throw really far they they, they that comes out of you as part of disc golf because you're you know you're always trying to throw that that drive as close to the pin as you can but yeah that's a lot of fun. Um, I, I think that kind of leads to the um, um, the first thing you see when you then uh, when you when you then start playing games is uh, is figuring out how to throw to someone who's new. <laughs> so right. if you've uh, spent all your time practicing, uh, you know, throwing to a soccer net or to a, a disc golf um, hole, you're uh, you probably you you probably got the throwing mechanics now down, and then it's just teaching yourself the, you know, athleticism of, you know, making that quick calculation of where you need to throw the disc based on the direction and how fast uh, a person is moving. And that's kind of the, you know, maybe one of the, the next level things that you see when you see people start to play ultimate is um, they're, they, they do have the throws and are capable of the throws, but it, it takes some repetition to, um, you know, do the, those calculations in your head of where you need to put the disc that's, you know, far enough ahead of somebody that the defense doesn't have a play on it, but uh, not too far that they, they can't catch up to it. Right. Um, so now we like to sort of find out, you know, the first time someone goes and does a sport, um, there's often, you know, in cycling, I use that as an example, you know, if you have a helmet and, you know, the basic gear... Um, you know, you're going to feel more comfortable going out to like a group ride or something your first time, right? So with Frisbee, I'm going out to co-ed, say this Thursday, you know, how should I dress? Is there anything that would make me, you know, fit in and feel more comfortable? Uh, yeah, that's a good point. Um, I, I think people are, are pretty lax on it now, but there, there was a time when, um, yeah, you wanted to have, you know, whatever, a dry fit shirt and um, a... Um, Kind of longer shorts is is probably the norm, but I, I think all of those have been um, broken down. I remember us watching um, footage of the 1991, I think, um, uh, World Championships that were played in in Toronto, and you know all those guys with their long hair and uh, um, short shorts were were, were pretty fun to, fun to watch. So. Um, not many people show up with kind of the running shorts, and although the kind of uh, um, 
with the kind of seam up the side um, right. in more kind of uh, basketball shorts is what most people wear. But after that, shirts wise, there's um, people who, um, you know, wear kind of the, um, the bro tank tank tops or, um, um, you know, dry fit shirts or whatever, just regular t-shirts. But I think whenever you go to ultimate, the, the key thing, you, you have to bring four things. You have to bring maybe five. So uh, cleats are, are good if you want to play. And if everybody else is in cleats and you just bring regular shoes, you're going to be disappointed because they're going to be able to change directions lots faster than you. Um, you're going to want a water bottle because you're probably going to sweat and you need to replace uh, some of those fluids. Um, uh, a disc because it sucks when everybody shows up to play and nobody's brought a disc. And then you need a, a light jersey and a dark jersey. And that way it's easy to divide up the, the teams, uh, whether you, whether you be a league or a, um, uh, pickup that, you know, you, it's lights versus darks and, uh, that's the way it is. And highly, uh, highly frowned upon is a, a gray jersey because it's always so confusing which team you're on. Right. Okay, um, the cleats then, like, would I just get a soccer cleat? Does that really matter? I think um, lots of people use soccer cleats. Um, most of the players that I coach or when I play, um, there's kind of, um, uh, I guess there would be football receiver or cornerback you know, cleats. And the only difference that I can tell is, is they might... They have a, a toe cleat, a cleat like right on the toe, and so soccer cleats don't have that. So you can kind of dig underneath the ball and and control the ball better on um, underneath your toe. Um, but that's the one difference that I've seen. But you know, there's lots of successful players that have played in soccer cleats. So um, I think anything that would give you you know stability, you'll be you'll be fine. Like I certainly wouldn't wouldn't say that you need to. Uh, um, if you have soccer cleats already, that you'd have to go out and buy something new to, to play ultimate. Okay, yeah, that's awesome. That's a those are some really good things. I think the the jerseys and the disc and and the shoes, you know, that it's all stuff that I think, yeah, if you showed up just with your street clothes, you again would feel a little out of place and not be a you know easy integration into the weekly practice, right? So yeah, um, I think the games out on the on the quad or whatever at, at university. Um, yeah, you can show up in whatever and and have a lot of fun. But if, if, if people are, you know, going specifically out to play frisbee there or ultimate, they're they're gonna probably wear cleats and see people slide around without those cleats. Is, is, it looks like no fun. Yeah, I think I think it's good. You know, if as much as you can, you know, this sounds fairly easy. Most people would have a lot of this stuff already, right? So I think when you can show up and just not seem like a complete beginner, you know, it's just going to help that first time being more comfortable and maybe making a little bit more gains in the important stuff like actually throwing and catching a frisbee, right? Um, I'm wondering here. Can you describe like what's the frisbee? Is there uh, the disc? I should say. Is there there's obviously a, a disc specific to ultimate versus say even frisbee golf or like a, you know, the yep. cheap frisbee I'd buy at the dollar store or something. Yeah. The, uh, the disc, um, there's, there's a couple different companies. Um, the, the one that uh, we use predominantly is, is made by Discraft, and the, the, um, 
What you find different slightly is uh, the mold that's used to, to make the, the frisbee and uh, or the disc. Um, and uh, the, the key thing for, for Ultimate anyways is, is, is that it's 175 grams and there's, you know, maybe two or three different companies that have been approved as, you know, authorized um, disc uh, suppliers. In general, people will want to use the same disc that they practice with so that they, um, you know, uh, the different shapes fly a little bit differently, and so um, you know, strong throwers will notice a big difference quickly. Um, but uh, I think you know, in, in Canada, MEC sells the kind of ultimate disc, and you can um, you often get one when you join a league, or you can buy them at tournaments and that sort of thing. And so it's it's a little bit um, bigger than the kind of dollar store frisbee, and it's a lot heavier, and that that. That heaviness will 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 blow you away if you're used to throwing that dollar th- uh, store frisbee or you know the one that um, you know is a giveaway at uh, you know whatever parade or um, um, industry um, uh, industry meeting type thing. The the heaviness will allow you to throw in wind and 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 for it to be much more stable and then um, uh, you know. I think easier to catch as well, but I don't have a good explanation for why, but it's probably because it's just more predictable in its path. That makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Um, what would, uh, what, what do you, what would you expect to pay for a certified authorized Frisbee? I think like it's somewhere between 12 and $20 and it all depends on, um, uh, I, I can't even remember. Um, I think we sell them at the Toronto Rush. They they might be fifteen dollars, um, and sometimes um, depending on what people have been able to buy them for and to get them printed with you know a neat logo on and resell them, you might be able to get them for less or more than that. I know typically when uh, we're doing fundraising for Team Canada this past year, we we, we aim to sell them for twenty dollars in order to. Uh, um, help defray some costs um, from the team heading uh, that went to London this past summer. So, right, you know, that kind of twelve to twenty, I think, is typical. Okay. Um, what about? Let's talk here a little bit about just the common mistakes when you're, you know, working with someone who's just starting out in in Ultimate specifically. Um, you know, what is sort of the co- the first sort of stumbling block that would, you know, again, maybe differentiate a beginner from an intermediate player. I think um, one thing I see, um, if you kind of, um, you've taught throwing and people see the throwing, um, and we talked a bit about it, is um, um, the ability to to throw to moving targets, both moving towards you, away from you, and kind of across your vision. Um, But then um, some other things that I I see quite a bit with um, early players is, um, you know, when the disc hits the ground, people are really excited to pick up the disc and they rush over and, you know, sometimes you see two people rushing to the disc at the same time and not fighting for the disc, but like one person's disappointed because they didn't get there uh, quite as quickly as the other. And they pick it up and they're so concentrating, concentrated on picking up the disc that they don't like go there with a plan of where they're going to throw it or who they're going to throw it to or 
um, some understanding of the space that's going to be around them or um, who might be in an advantageous position. And uh, uh, yeah, I think I saw that quite a bit on some um, re recent beginner um, beginner games that I was I was watching. And we, we as much as you try, you, you try to stop people and say, hey, you know what? You can you can walk to the disc a little slower. You can designate someone who's going to pick up the disc. And um, so so that's probably the, the key one that's maybe uh, easy to easy to, to think about. And then the next one is just um, because um, you know at the the when the coach level and and the level that I play at and, and coach at right now is people understand that you know if everybody's cutting for the disc at the same time it's you know you're not going to be successful and uh, that's the one thing as beginners you've got a lot of excited people you know you've just been doing some drills and now it's finally time to play is that. Um, um, sometimes it's just as easy to, to say two people to say, okay, I'm going to cut first and you cut second for me. And, uh, by cut, I mean, you know, run in one direction and then change your direction to try to lose your defender. Um, it, it, if you can do that, you can, you know, create a lot more space to make sure that, uh, you have open throwing lanes and kind of more successful, um, you know, advancing of the disc through passes, and so um, that that was those are two things that I noticed quite a bit um, with with a beginner group that I worked with a couple couple of weeks ago. Right, I think that's great. I mean, that thinking ahead and sort of linking skills together, I, I think would be a good general description of beginner versus intermediate. So um, that that's that's good. Is there? Is there a way that you like? Is that just time on the in the sport playing? Do you think that does that, or is it more that, as you say, people are rushing to pick up a disc that like no one else is going to pick up? Like they have, like they're entitled to pick up that disc no matter how fast they get to it. Is that the mistake that you're seeing? Um, it just it just might be between the team, like between members on the same team, where like when the disc hits the ground, there's seven players on the team that are entitled to pick up the disc. Oh, and okay. If everybody runs to pick up the disc, whoever does pick it up, they're going to be looking at seven um, offensive players, kind of within right. three to ten feet of them, and then um, and then seven defensive players, making uh, it very difficult to complete a pass. Right. And so, so it's kind of like you know we, we say Timbit soccer here in Canada where. You know the balls over here, and so are all of the players. I was going to say hockey is like that too. I I remember watching like cousins or whatever playing hockey, and it's just they're all in the corner together. Like all ten players on the ice are all. Sometimes the goalie too are in the corner, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. That that um, just um, that that's what comes with you know first watching um, sports, and so um, the kids who maybe had a chance to. Um, Watch, you know, the Toronto Rush play, or the, you know, the the Sixers, which is the women's team, or or Goat. They can see that, you know, they're making space is probably the most important part of the game at the higher level, so that you you know can't have one person covering two people or or what have you, and um, that you know that's a really key part of uh, you know going from intermediate to expert is is starting to do that, but. I think it's a little bit about um, 
um, you know, just experience, but it's also about getting some guidance from um, some you know, senior or expert players, however you want to say it, uh, where they're going to, you know, you know, you know, assign a couple people and say, hey, you're going to stand in this position and you're, you're, you're going to keep your person busy, but you, you're probably not going to get the distance point, but it's going to be very important that you do that really well. And that will give these two people a chance to have more space to, you know, pass the disc between them. Right. Are there sports that transfer well to Frisbee? I mean, you've come from cycling, but is there, you know, <laughs> is there like a, do you see any trend like hockey players coming? You mentioned the basketball players or soccer players getting sick of the rules or the referees or whatever. Uh, yeah. Is there a trend that you see like a clustering of athletes from a certain sport? Yeah, certainly cycling is not one. We didn't, uh, no. we didn't learn a lot of uh, running, uh, I guess, you know, triathletes or, or even mountain bikers probably do a lot, but uh, road and velodrome, uh, yeah, I could move in a straight direction on a bike, no problem. But uh, changing directions wasn't uh, wasn't easy. No, uh, wasn't easy. But um, certainly um, some some sports that I think have been fantastic, like soccer for sure. Uh, both women and men who I know have come from uh, a soccer background. Um, Partially because they understand team sports, they you know they understand you know listening to the coach or listening to a, their leader and, and following through on strategy and approaches. But uh, it, it's also the the movement, the the footwork that you learn in soccer, and you know keeping your your weight above your um, your center of gravity in a in a and your in your legs in a manner that you can change direction quickly. I think are are probably pretty key. Um, Tennis has actually been um, a good one. I know some you know, good good players that play tennis that uh, seem to also be good. I think um, um, I think the the lateral movement and the ability to change direction quickly and to react uh, quickly. Um, so I think it's it's typically around the footwork and not maybe the racket work as much. And where I think is closer. To the what the arm motions is more um, I don't know badminton too much but but squash that kind of um, uh, flicking of the wrist that happens in, in squash is uh, well I think squash that I play maybe not at the high levels I don't know um, is, is closer to the uh, to the you know what makes a good thrower and I've known I've known some good 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 players good handlers uh, who play play squash and they, they seem to have a good control of the disc. Okay. Yeah, I think that's a great answer. Um, the other one I wanted to do, you talked a little bit about, you know, going somewhere else to find success, to find different ideas, to sort of have your mind open, which is something actually that Perry, um, who introduced us, um, who's one of my coaching clients, he is someone who I often reference who's, you know, had great success in his life and, but he's done a lot of, he was in France for school and then out working in BC and stuff. Um, you know, and so someone who I'm like, you know, you sort of have to get out of your own world, you know, your, where you grew up to, to find success and sort of that higher level thinking. So when you went down to Boston, what did you, what can, is there something specifically that sticks out as your sort of, paradigm shift or thing that's made you a, a better coach in, in because of that experience? I think there's a, a few things and, and um, I remember um, 
always in Toronto and maybe in, in Canada in general, it, it's, it's, it, a lot of concentration on, on the pull play and, you know, what happens after, um, but by pull play, we, is when the one team throws to the other, is that there's a, a pretty scripted movement of how people move after the, the disc comes down. And, uh, we would have reams and lots of different ones that, uh, we would run through. And it was pretty exciting, you know, memorizing them and running them through. And when they worked really well, you know, that was pretty exciting. Um, but I noticed in, in the Boston team is that, you know, that the pull play was a pretty basic, kind of the same thing each time. And then, you know, how people moved was all with reaction to the, um, uh, reaction to what the defense was doing. Uh, which I think was, was good for me. Um, and then the other thing was, um, the kind of keep it simple, uh, aspect of it was that there were some things that, um, I don't know. I looked at, they, they would publish the, the playbook from whatever, 15 or 10 years before. And you know, it's like, like, it's the same thing is that they've had a lot of success with just doing, really simple things but doing it really well and really concentrating on the um uh, i think the key was the, you know the value of the disc and in, in not taking unnecessary risks with the disc and and being more possession oriented where um you know the big throws are pretty exciting but they also you know with the distance that you throw there's also a possibility of you know the wind catching it or being a slightly off angle or you know, deep defender being able to catch it up. Um, that they were, um, you know, really into just hitting the next open player and, um, um, you know, not not you know being possession oriented. And uh, I think that kind of opened up my eyes to just a different approach and you know a bit more simple approach to uh, to the game. Okay, I think that's that's good. It's funny we we uh, we always want it to be some new crazy move or something but it's so often you know the best coaches you know I was just talking to a golf coach this morning for another episode and you know that's that's essentially it it's not you know huge massive drives or you know crazy putts or anything like that right it's just consistency and you know working on that doing those basics really really well yeah one key I remember was that uh, in 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 Toronto we'd always um it was called it uh, no unders defense, and so um, we talk about quadrants of the of the person and which area you can uh, um, which area you can influence and which area you know you have to hope that the person marking the disc uh, influences. And uh, we always try to be underneath our guys and and um, stop the easy underpass and then um, give up. Uh, it, we would give up a small advantage. On the you know the deep puck throws, um, but we would you know aim to catch those up with our legs. And uh, when I showed up with this the Boston team, they're like, uh-uh, that's not how we do it. You're like, you, um, they put me in the entire other quadrant on you know the backside of the person. You know, there you're you have the person in your sights, but you also see where the frisbee is and you see what's going on a little bit more. And I don't know, I. It worked out really well for me. I, I played well for them and got a whole pile of D, um, um, defensive defensive stops, and uh, uh, it was like, wow, this is kind of interesting. <laughs> you know, 
small change in position, different uh, different view of where the, the disc is, and, and lots of success. Maybe we should bring that one day to, to Toronto. Right. Yeah, and that's like almost a complete paradigm shift, right? Where it's what you thought was the only way or the best way. You know, you look at almost the complete opposite and, you know, oh, wow, that worked too, right? And, hmm. Yeah, and I think from a coaching perspective, I, um, um, I've always um, been pushing to have more than one look and, you know, more than one ability. You don't want to show up against the team and I think the the GOAT team of old, you know, they knew exactly what was coming out at them every single time. Um, it would be man D, no under D, and as a result, they would be able to, um, you know, find success against that um, when they needed to um, because they knew kind of what our system was. And so over the past few years, we've been trying to make sure that we were more unpredictable in, in what we were bringing to the table both offensively and defensively. Hmm. That's awesome. Um, I think there's lots there. Um, I think we covered the, the basics as far as the discs and the, the game and sort of the rough stuff as far as where people can find it. Um, now, you provided me with your... Tw- you have a Twitter, Scott? Is that right? Yeah, it's just my own one. I, it's a little bit uh, ultimate, a little bit of organization, okay. and who knows what else, yeah. Okay, so we'll include that in the show notes. But what it, what is that Twitter address again? Just so we have it on the audio too. Oh yeah, it's uh, Shooter S H O O T E R, which is just uh, a nickname uh, underscore T O. Okay, uh, perfect. And I have the fri- the club there for Toronto. But would you say what's the best website if someone was interested in some of that Toronto based ultimate stuff? Yeah, it's uh, uh, www.tuc.org. And that's the um, um, the Toronto Ultimate Club in Toronto where many people get their start. As always, thanks so much for tuning into this episode of the Consummate Athlete Podcast. Uh, please let us know what you thought about it, how it's impacted you or changed the way you're training. Uh, you can let us know in the comments over at consummateathlete.com. Or you could let us know over Twitter at Molly J. Herford and at Peter Glassford. And of course, if you liked the episode, please leave us a review over in iTunes. That would be super helpful. Uh, Thanks so much for tuning in. Have a great week and we will see you next time.